Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, today I'm going to be Dr. Jekyll. Yesterday I was Mr. Hyde. Yesterday it was time to tear down. Today it's time to build up. And I'll tell you something right now. The Holy Ghost is inviting us to go someplace in the Spirit that most of us have never been. I love my brethren. I love the men who have been faithful to God and worked for God, done the best they could all these years. But I have a special, special burden and love for men under 40. And, and, and let me tell you why. Because what God is going to do in the earth in the next little while is going to require great strength. Not just spiritual strength, but physical strength. And those of us who are older and have been faithful to God our primary role is going to be to help keep those young guys saved Paul addressed the old elders the old men and he addressed the young men there has to be a team effort and a relationship of trust the problem of course isn't as much getting the young men to trust the old men as it is to get the old men to trust the young men. But uh, the Lord's wanting to do so. I have a... <sighs> I have such a feeling of desperation today to somehow be used of the Holy Ghost to open a door for some of you that at the very least you would look inside of it if you wouldn't walk through it. I, have a, I, I, I can't explain it. It's just such a feeling of desperation. Because there are some of you, especially under 40. The, my generation, it's a long story, and I don't want to take part of my time going into any great detail on it, but my generation was deeply affected by the damage done to the faith of our movement by the latter rain movement. 
the devil won two major victories in the 40s and 50s through the Lateran movement. He took some very hungry men and they lost their tie to their foundation and they ended up giving up truth for the things of the Spirit, not understanding you can't have truly have the things of the Spirit if it's not tied to and built on the foundation of truth. But that wasn't the greatest victory that the adversary won. The greatest victory the adversary won in that time was all the people that stayed faithful to the truth. He scared about 95% of them into never searching out the depths of the Spirit of God. And I remember as a young man, before I was a preacher, and then when I began to be a preacher, I remember the cautions I got. And it wasn't that I ignored the cautions, but they didn't fit with the Word of God. And I watched many of my peers come under the subjection and the control of that fear and never become what they could have been in God because they lived under the fear of the things of the Spirit of God. Never became it. Lived in regret. There's men standing in this room right now that God opened a door for you in your younger years, gave you a glimpse into the spirit world. But you were so afraid because of the warnings and for, so afraid of the rejection that would come that you didn't walk through that door and you live in regret today and you are hollow shells of what you could have become in God because you would not enter in because of fear. I have suffered many things at the hands of my brothers in 38 years of ministry because of my desire for the things of the Spirit of God. I've had horrible things said about me. Been rejected, been banned from districts because I simply believed in the things of the Spirit of God. Do you know something? It's not my problem. Because it's not a person that they're rejecting. You can't reject the things of the Spirit of God without rejecting God. God is a spirit. I know that's what the Bible says. I know this is editing the scripture, but in this context, can I, can I change the word? God is the spirit. He's the spirit. When I say God is spirit, that means automatically God is. That anything I do with God, concerning God, if God is involved at all, it is supernatural. Super means above or greater than the natural. And I've watched my generation, many, many good men loved God the best they knew how but lived under that fear I've watched them try to do a work for God and avoid the supernatural 
And we have an entire generation of men, the majority of which has never become what they could have been in God. I don't want that for this next generation coming up. Some of this new generation is cynical. And it's not their fault. Some of them are teetering in the balance of making a decision which way they're going. And it should have never come to this. They should have been born in the fire, raised in the fire, lived in the fire. No other things that God should have been so absolutely normal to them. Paul said, I would not, beloved, I would not have you to be ignorant of King James says spiritual gifts, but if you look real closely, the word gifts is in italics, which is the honesty of the translators of the King James Version, letting you know that there was no Greek word they translated there. And in a very literal sense, all of the writing about what we call the gifts of the Spirit Paul could could be summed up simply as saying, Paul was saying, Beloved, I would not have you to be ignorant of spirituality, of the spiritual. Because if you're ignorant of the spiritual, you're ignorant of the operation of God. Galatians chapter 5, if we could go there, verse 16, we're going to read a little bit here. I, I don't know if I'm going to go very fast today. I, Brother Morgan said, I'm a teacher, I love to teach. Yesterday, I don't know what that was. That was just everything turned loose, nothing held back. But uh, impartation isn't done 90 miles an hour. Today is impartation. Paul said, I, I, I want to profit you by imparting to you some spiritual gift. And you, you say, ooh, that sounds spooky. No. When I, when, when I communicate to you about the things of the Spirit of God, If you open your heart, there's an impartation that takes place by God. It's not some whatever. It's not mysterious. This I say then, and of course, understanding the entire book of Galatians up to this point was God, uh, was Paul, the Holy Ghost through Paul, expressing how deeply concerned he was about the church at Galatia which can be summed, his concern could be summed up in this one statement, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know why there's so many Great men of God that have fallen in adultery over the years. 
Because we learned to be oratorical preachers and we didn't learn to walk in the Spirit. Men burn out. Men just shells of what they used to be. Just enduring to the end, hanging on, just trying to be saved. Because when you're walking in the flesh trying to live for God, it is exhausting. Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. 18. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. 19. Now the works, everybody say works. Effort. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And, of course, we don't have much problem with those things, do we? Idolatry, of course we do. It's called covetousness. We have a problem with that. Witchcraft, you say we don't. Oh, yeah, rebellion is witchcraft. We've got a problem with that. Hatred, ooh, we got a lot of problem with that. Works of the flesh, variance. <sighs> Emulations, jealousies, whatever. Wrath. Against one another. Oh, we got plenty of that. Strife. Boy, do we ever have that. You know what that word literally is in the Greek? Political party spirits. Seditions. That's overthrowing people that are in authority because we don't like the way they're leading us. Heresies. That's when we make our opinions equal to God's. Envyings. Murders and hatred, of course, is murder. Drunkenness revelings and such like of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past that they which do notice works do works do works do do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God 22 but the fruit of the spirit where's the works in that you don't strain to be to love I got to love I got to have joy I got to have peace. I got to be gentle. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Verse 24, And they that are Christ, that belong to Christ, they that have renounced or disavowed ownership of themselves, they that have settled, settled the ownership issue. When Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself. That as it's translated is impossible. Self cannot say no to self. That's a totally unbiblical principle. Of course, the Greek word has nothing to do with denying self. The Greek word there means to, to denounce ownership. It simply means to renounce or to renounce ownership of self or to, to acknowledge who really owns you. For those who have renounced ownership of self, they that are of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And the word affections in almost every other place in the Greek is translated uh, affliction or suffering. Because it's, it's written, it sounds redundant. Affections and lusts are, are synonyms. But sufferings and lusts are opposites. 
They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the sufferings and the lusts. How do you crucify? We know how to, we, we think we know how to crucify ourselves to the lust, but how do you crucify yourself to the sufferings? You quit resisting and resenting the path God leads you on. That's being crucified to your sufferings. 25. If we live. If we what? Where? Preposition in. I-N is translation of the Greek preposition E-N. Which according to Strong's means a fixed position. A relation of rest. In other words, the spirit is not supposed to be a place we visit. But an atmosphere that we live in. Not in church. 24-7. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Going back to verse 16. This I say then walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if I can learn to live in the spirit. Then I can walk in the spirit. If I live in the spirit. And then can walk in the spirit. Then I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the average Pentecostal is trying to not do the works of the flesh without the first two prerequisites. That's why the average Pentecostal thinks this is a hard life to live. You may be seated. Thank you. In fact, the average Pentecostal has the attitude that is just like the servant with one talent. I knew you were a hard man. That is the average Pentecostal's opinion of God. I knew you were a hard man. And you expect something for nothing. You reap where you didn't sow. You don't give me much, but you expect everything from me. You're a hard man. In the heart of hearts of the average Pentecostal, that's, the, that's our attitude toward God. That's why we have no fruit. That's why we live in fear, trying to protect this talent, trying to just be saved. You see, it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be used to God. But it's a completely different thing to be truly used of God and saved. In our midst, rather than being divided into thirds, we're divided about 45, 45, 10. There's about 45% of us want to be saved. That's all we focus on. It's about 45%, that may be generous, that want to be used. They want to see something happen. They want to be somebody. And there's only about 10% truly seeking out the path to be truly used and saved. 
The people that are seeking to be saved, they judge the people that are trying to be used because they think they've all got wrong attitudes and, that they, and, and, and they're just full of themselves and, uh, you know, they just want to grow to be somebody. They want a big church, blah, 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 blah. So they judge them as being carnal and compromisers. And the people who are seeking to be used to God look at those that are just trying to hang on to the end. It's not having any idea anything about God, not loving God, not caring anything about God, just trying to save their own skins. And then the other 10% of us, we think about the other 90% as little as possible. Because we really don't know how to relate to either group. True. I told you a little bit of my story yesterday. Let me tell you about one of the most significant events of my life. I was 18 years old. I was just a few months from graduating high school, I already had my appointment to the Naval Academy. I knew there was no church over there in Annapolis. I knew there was not going to be any place to go to church. I had left it up to God whether to go to Bible school or the Naval Academy. And since it was a lot harder to get in the Naval Academy than the Bible school, I, I just applied and left it in God's hands. And it wasn't something you could accidentally do. And that was the advice of my Sunday school teacher, which is the only conversation in 18 years of being in Pentecost that I ever truly remember anyone outside of my mother ever giving me any kind of spiritual advice. In 18 years of having the Holy Ghost or being in the church, 12 of those or six of those having the Holy Ghost from age 12, I, never had, I don't ever remember a conversation I ever had with a pastor. Because again, we were a military family and I was just a, kid in a military family and so it was okay for me to benefit what was going on but there was no investment made in me at all I literally honestly don't remember ever having one conversation with any pastor I had in 18 years but this one Sunday school teacher uh, I went I went to him for advice on what to do because I was really concerned I, I, won't, I knew I was called to preach and and, and, and he said to me, that, that was the advice he gave me. He said, well, Chester, it's a lot harder to get in the Naval Academy as Bible school, and the Lord may have a plan for you to go there. So why don't you just apply, see if you get in. And if you do, if you do then, then accept it as the will of God. If you don't, then, then go to Bible school. You can always get in Bible school. Well, there were a lot of times those four years I thought that was a bad way to find the will of God. It wasn't easy. But let me tell you what God did. Just about uh, two months before I had to go to the Naval Academy, there was a two-man team traveling up through there doing Sunday school seminars. I forget the man's name, the guy that started Search for Truth. He was teaching the seminars. Somebody might know him, Brother Will Hoyt. And, uh, and, and, and 
the other man who was preaching the night services was named Marvin Cole. I didn't know either one of these men. I'd never heard of either one of them. But, you know, back then, your church rarely ever put a guest speaker in a hotel. People didn't have the money to do that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't unusual for people to stay in different people's homes. I, I don't ever remember my mother actually, my dad wasn't saved at the time. And I don't ever remember my mother ever volunteering to keep anybody before. But for some reason, like you ever heard of God, you know, uh, for some reason she had talked to my dad and my dad had agreed to let these two preachers stay in our house. Well, it's the strangest thing. Some of the best friends my dad ever had all those years he was lost was preachers. Preachers loved my dad. And my dad loved preachers. He just wasn't saved. He loved preachers. He'd sit and talk Bible with him for hours. He just wasn't saved. But he had agreed for these two men to stay in our house. Other than receiving the Holy Ghost in the first 18 years of my life, those two days were probably the most impacting than anything that had ever happened to me. My heart aches for young men that have never had that experience. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Maybe, you know, Brother Marvin Cole's a little different and uh, whatever. But let me tell you something. This man walked in my house. I saw something I'd never seen in my life. I'd never seen anything like this. From the moment he came in the house, the presence of God filled the house. It was like being in church. I mean, not because of what was going on, but just the presence of God was in the house. I didn't know you could do I didn't know that was possible. And, and my dad would... Ask him to ask the blessing over the meal. And it's just simple, personal, intimate blessing of the food to God. Just, it, it, it ignited something in my soul. And he would walk through the house and, and just say, Oh, I love you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And, and it wasn't just something that was said in church. It was... He was talking to somebody. And there was a feeling of intimacy in it. I had never experienced. I'd never seen before. My mother loved God the best she could. And, and I, I, I respect my mother. And I appreciate her, her, her birthing me in a Pentecostal church and all of that. But I'd never seen anything like this before. It was so personal and so intimate. And, and I don't mean in a showy way at all. There was nothing showy about it. That was, it, it, it there was no hype to it. There was no put on. It was like he, there were times just he'd space out and not even realize there was anybody else there. He, he was just talking to the Lord. It, it, I, I don't mean to be crude here, but it was so intimate. It felt like you'd accidentally open the bedroom door. On a married couple. It wasn't embarrassing as it much as it was uncomfortable. Because it was so intimate. It touched something 
It touched something in my being. It sparked a desire that for 42 years I have never let anybody or anything dampen it regardless of the price. Because I haven't cared what anybody thought. I've had one goal. I want that. That's what I want. I didn't start out seeking a ministry. In, in those two days, they was only in the house two days. Just, just two days. And, it, and we talked. I don't remember what we talked about. In fact, I tried to engage him in conversation just to stay in his presence. I don't remember anything he said specifically. I know we talked. He was very kind to me. But just being around whatever that was, I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't get enough of it. And less than two months later, God separated me from everything Pentecostal. And I went to the Naval Academy. And there was no church. And there was no Pentecostal music. And there was no pastor. And we were required to go to chapel and sit through all that formality. So there was no chance in the world I was going to be drawn to that. Because I went from light to dark. Life to death and I spent four years by myself with no teacher and no influence and all that that worked on me for four years by myself was the memory of what it felt like to be intimate with God that's all I felt that's it that's it that's it that's it Brother Gomez, I didn't spend my four years seeking a ministry. I spent my four years seeking Jesus. I didn't go after, Brother Sanders, the gifts of the Spirit. I went after Jesus. I didn't go after a ministry in the Word, Brother. I went after Jesus. I went hard after Jesus. The problem was in six months, sitting around talking in study hour, knowing only what I was taught in Sunday school about the Word of God, repeating what I'd been taught, I found out it wasn't mine. It didn't take but six months for them to take it away from me. I was at a crossroads. I got a study Bible for my 19th birthday, my first birthday at the academy. It was right at my crisis point. It would have been easy to have walked away with it from it all. But there were two things that had happened to me in my life I could not walk away from, even though I didn't even know what was truth at all anymore. I couldn't walk away from the, fact, the reality of the Holy Ghost. And I couldn't walk away from the experience I had in my house for two days with a man I had never seen before. And that it would be almost 20 years before I'd see him again. But... But that atmosphere lingered around me, Brother Dylan. It lingered. 
when, when I was drawn, when I was pulled, when, 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 when there were all kind of things trying to get me to go here and there and all the pressure from my classmates. And you, you don't know pressure till you live with a bunch of guys 24-7 for four years. And you're different. Pressure. But I couldn't give up because I had, I had touched the glory. Or excuse me, the glory had touched me. I hadn't touched the glory. The glory had touched me. I couldn't give up. I couldn't give up. I couldn't let that go. The, I, it was real. So I started, I got my study Bible. I remember getting down by my bunk. My roommate wasn't in the room at the time. I got down my, by my bunk and I said, Now God, either you're an absolute liar or you're no respecter of persons. Now which is it? If you're no respecter of persons, you know I don't have a pastor. I don't have anybody to discuss this stuff with. I don't have anybody to turn to. But you in this book. Now, if you're no respecter of persons, I pledge to study this. And your obligation is to lead me into the truth. I don't care who's right. I don't care what truth is. I don't care if it's Catholic. I don't care if it's mu I don't care. I don't care who, what I end up being. As long as when I, I end up with truth. I took a semester of thermodynamics. I can't hardly remember any of that. Electrical engineering one semester. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I had three semesters of calculus. I, I don't remember. I passed all the courses somehow. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember any of it. I can't. I can't hardly remember anything that I studied that I got a degree for. But I got stacks of notes. We're on eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper. I wrote out scriptures that I found in pencil using only a little concordance in the back of that Bible and that center column reference that it had. Just studying, reading, studying. Every time I'd find a, a scripture on a subject, I categorized, categorized it by subject. How to be saved, how to be baptized, how, whether or not the Holy Ghost is necessary, speaking in tongues, all these things. Just studied. I want to know if all that was necessary, if all that was real. I have said frequently that I went to the Naval Academy, a third-generation Pentecostal. I left there a first-generation apostolic. And you know what the difference was? In those four years, without a teacher, without anyone I felt obligated to and afraid that I'd be betraying if I was seeking after God different than the way they had been raised, I found God. You know the problem? I didn't even realize it was putting me at odds with my generation. That it was making me the oddball with most of my generation. That it was guaranteeing more rejection than acceptance with my generation. But you know what? In those four years, I found Jesus.
I found Jesus. I found Jesus. I'm not telling you today. After all these years, I got it all down. I find that it's a daily quest. It's a daily search. The Lord said, through Paul on, the, on Mars Hill, he's not very far from any one of us, but we have to feel after him. We, we've got to find him. While some are studying to preach, I'm looking for Jesus. While some are studying the latest church growth message, methods, I'm just looking for Jesus. Hallelujah. It, it, this is not a church growth conference. That's not what this is in case you haven't figured this out. You know why? Because if you were at a church growth conference, the most important church growth scripture in the Bible wouldn't even be brought up in a church growth conference. You want to know what it is? The most important church growth scripture in all of the Bible is, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Now, you know something? That's guaranteed. It's not what method you use. It's not what cultural style of preaching you use. I mean, I hear guys that talk regular. They can't even get up and make announcements without going, <gasps> What does that have to do with the Holy Ghost? It's not anointing. It's a cultural thing. Give me a break. Oh, I said it was going to be nice. God have mercy. And we wonder why people don't think we're real. When you got a preaching voice and a rest of the time voice. I'm sorry. It's just something about that that's, it just doesn't click with me. I can receive from you, but it takes every ounce of the Holy Ghost I've got to do so. I'm talking about seeking for Jesus here. I'm talking about clearing the clutter out of the way. If you haven't been listening, every service, every message could be boiled down to this. Get the clutter cleared out of the way. That's what's keeping it from happening for you. It's not that you can't do it. You just let it all get cluttered. You've let it all get complicated. It's, it's not complicated. It's simple. Let's just get back to the simplicity of it. I've got to die. You've got to die. That's what living in the Spirit is. Paul didn't say, I hope one day to be crucified with Christ. Or someday, just before the rapture, I'll be crucified with Christ. He said, I am, Brother Sistrum. He said, I am. If one of us said, I am crucified with Christ, we look at him and say, boy, you're full of pride. 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. If we live in the Spirit, we'll walk in the Spirit. But Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Or the Son of God's faith. Not faith in the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. Of is a prepositional phrase of possession. It's exactly saying the same thing to say uh, the faith of of the Son of God's faith. The, The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God's faith. His faith, not mine. Who do you think has more faith, you or Jesus? Who do you think's faith works better, yours or Jesus? While you're living and not dead, the only faith you can use is yours. But if you let him allow you to be crucified and you don't resist it and you don't resent it, then you switch faiths. You're no longer living in your faith. You're living by his faith. Is there any question about his faith working? Is the Lord rubbing his hands and his palms all sweaty about how in the world to build a church in Virginia Beach with all of those false Pentecostals? You think that's hard for God? Is he sweating? Is his brow broke out in perspiration trying to figure out how to get it done? You need to thank God every day for those guys that are nailing those spikes in your hands and your feet to that cross. Because there's one problem with crucifixion. I can't do it to myself. There has to be someone, whether ignorant or otherwise, that are the agents of crucifixion who are doing it for me. So the very people I think are doing me the greatest harm are doing me the greatest favor because they're the ones that's driving the nails in the cross for me because I can't draw drive them in myself. I can get the nail in one hand, but how am I going to get the nail in the other? Somebody else has got to drive the nails in the cross for me if I'm going to be crucified with Christ. That's why I've got to quit hating. I've got to quit being offended. I've got to quit resenting. I've got to start appreciating. And I've got to start saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They meant it for evil. You meant it for good. And even though you're using it for my good by allowing me to be crucified by it, you're still going to punish them if they don't repent. So help them, Father. They've been such a blessing to me doing to me what I cannot do for myself. Can't do it for myself. Those circumstances that you're in, those obstacles you're facing, that you just think, I I can't go on. I don't know what I'm going to do about all this. I don't know how to go farther. I don't know where to go from here. They're just agents of crucifixion. That's all they are. They're no big deal to God. He will move them when the time is right. Let them do their perfect work in you. Let them bring you to the end of yourself. 
The name Saul means supplanter. The name Paul means small or brought to the end. You want to be Saul? You want to be Paul? The more you're brought to the end of yourself, the more fruit the Lord will be able to do through you for His glory. If you're going to resent being brought to the end of yourself, or if you're going to resent and resist being brought to the end of yourself, if you're going to pray your way out of every jam just because it's uncomfortable and it's causing you to die, then you're never going to live in the Spirit. And the best you'll ever be is just a caretaker maintenance man in some pulpit someplace. Just trying to maintain somebody else's fruit. Just taking care of somebody else's place. And never seeing anything for yourself. Because you're not willing to die. Jesus name. Jesus name. I got a bunch of guys on the staff at home. And even though most of them are not that much younger than me, they all want me to be dead. But Brother Middleton, they just think they want me to be dead. Because there's not hardly any of you guys that could handle me treating you like a son. Just ask those two boys sitting in the back. Some guys pave the way for their sons. I have purposely put obstacles in the way. The hardest situations, the most difficult ones. We had a youth pastor who was doing a great job. He came to me. I guess he was trying to get a little more control because he'd already separated the youth unto themselves where they really weren't a part of the church anymore. They were his little followers. And I I think he, he thought I was so dependent on him. So he came to me and said, it's the will of God for me to leave. I said, Okay. He he was shocked. He thought I'd never agree to that. And I said to him, Oh, and by the way, if it's the will of God for you to leave, you understand that I've got nobody here can do what you and your wife does. You know that as well as I do. So that means if it's the will of God for you to leave, it must be for me the will of God for me to completely change the way you're doing the youth. Because even if I had three or four people to do it, they couldn't do what you're doing. What was he going to say? Well, I knew whoever took over that job was going to fail. Impossible to succeed. So who did I give that to? My youngest son. The truth before the Almighty God. Did he try hard? Yeah. Did he work hard at it? Yeah. Did he make some progress with it? Yeah. But somebody was going to fail. Only one I could spare failing was him. Rest of them wouldn't take it. Rest of them wouldn't have trusted me enough. He needed to die. He needed to fail. The guy that took it was going to fail because everybody was going to compare him with the guy that left. That's why some of us only want to be servants. We don't ever want to be sons because the Lord treats sons different than he does servants. Yeah, he does. 
Yeah, he does. Servants, you, 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 you know, you feed a servant, you take care of a servant, you, you, you know, whatever. You, you, don't, you don't clue them in on a whole lot. You just expect them to do what you tell them to do, and they do that. And the obligation is, since you own them and they're servant and they're just doing what you want, you, you make sure they're fed and clothed and see you in the morning. Not so with a son. Fathers make it tough on sons because they love them. You know what the saddest, one of the saddest things I've experienced in all of my years in Pentecost, Brother Dillon, is to watch men who have been strong for truth have a son come up in the ministry and the guy go away from the truth. And all of a sudden, dad changes what he's preaching because he can't bring himself to admit that the son is lost. It's happened all over this country. Let me tell you something. One of my sons had a little problem a few years ago. I brought him in before the elders. I cranked on him really hard. I was going to stand him up in front of everybody and rebuke him. The elders talked me out of it. Why was I going to do that? Because as much as I love my son, I'm not standing back and let anybody destroy what I've spent my whole life building. That wouldn't mean I'd stop loving my son. But this wasn't about family. This is about God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's about God. Notice in the flesh... In, are you kidding? In the flesh, there is, there's effort. There's effort in the flesh. You have to, you have to put in work in the flesh. You, you carry the pressure, the responsibility in the flesh when it's flesh. In the spirit, you, you know God's definition of success? Do you know the, the definition of success that every man of God in the Bible used? Every man of God in the Bible used including the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only biblical measure of success. Whether or not you find the will of God today and do it. End of story. Results and numbers are not the measure of success. The whole world was going to hell. And if numbers are success, how do you call Jesus a success after the thousands and thousands he healed that experienced a personal miracle as a result of his ministry? The thousands and thousands that ate miraculous food. The, the tens of thousands that heard him teach. And he couldn't get but 120 of all of those thousands to be where he wanted them to be on the day he wanted them to be there? By any numerical measure, he was a failure, Brother Dylan. But he told us his standard for success. The son can do nothing of himself. What he sees the father do, he does. 
what he hears the Father say, he says. His measure of success was to what degree does God have control of my life today to do whatever he chooses to do? End of story. If you've got any other, any other measure of success, it is not scriptural. Some sow, some water. Who gives the increase? I don't earn increase. I can't deserve increase. I can only do the will of God. If the will of God today is to sow, I sow. If it's the will of God today to water, I water. But the, but the reaping is an act of the Spirit that only takes place when and where God says do it. Because we don't know that, that is the very reason why we don't get thrilled and excited when somebody else has revival. Because all that it demonstrates is not what somebody's done or how, 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 how much they've got it together and how much you don't have it together. It just demonstrates they had a visitation of God. And God visited and produced some increase. And if he visits there and he's no respecter of persons, my time is coming. If I'll just do the will of God every day, my time is coming. It's coming. My time is coming. Why don't we see more of it? Well, I got to go really fast here. We don't see more of it because we just really don't understand about living for God. When you get out of the realm of religion and you're into the realm of relationship, it's a completely different concept. It's a completely different perspective. It's not about what you got to do and, and, and what's right and what's wrong. It's what pleases God. When I was when I was single man, I could eat with I could go out to McDonald's with in the Burger King with any single female that would agree to eat with me, and there's not anybody could have said a thing about it. We'll say a sinner. Hey, look, if we both showed up in our same car in different cars, and we sat down and simply shared a meal together, Jesus ate with sinners. And anybody could accuse my morality or spirituality as a single man sitting and eating a hamburger with another single woman. But let me tell you what. I'm a married man. I don't care the circumstances. I don't care the explanation. If you walk in Burger King and you see me sitting at a table with a woman that's not my wife, it might be my daughter-in-law. But if you didn't know that, you're going to have questions. He's a married man. I wouldn't do that because it's sin. And no, 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 you can't show me any place in the Bible where that'd be sin. 
Because it's immoral. Show me where that's immoral. You arrive at different cars, leave in different cars. You sit in a public place across the table from each other, share a meal and don't touch one another. That's immoral. I wouldn't do it. You know why I wouldn't do it? Not because of my religion, but because of my relationship. Because I wouldn't want to do anything to bring a question on my relationship with my wife. It's just like that with my Jesus. We don't understand. But we have a problem. Paul said, Romans 7, things I would do, I don't do. And things I don't want to do, I do. To will is present with me, but how to do that, which I will, I, I don't find. I, I got this problem. I, I, I've got the spirit warned against my flesh, flesh warned against my spirit. And, and I'm, I'm caught in the middle and I don't know what to do. And I'm trying my best and it's just not working. And it's a problem. And after 36 years of pastoring, I have watched so many Sincere, honest, love God Christians give up because they never could figure out how to get past that. Well, here's how. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That's where the denominal world quits reading, of course. Unfortunately, many Pentecostals have stopped reading there too. But that's, it's, it's a conditional statement based on something. Here's what it's based on. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, you can't walk in the Spirit if you don't live in the Spirit. You can't live in the Spirit unless you're seeking Jesus. Understanding that He is Spirit. He is supernatural. The Word of God tells me about Him. The Word of God tells me how He thinks. The Word of God tells me what He loves and does not love. The Word of God is His expression. It's the, it's the express image of His person. But it is not His person. His essence, his substance is spirit. And I cannot fellowship with God and avoid the supernatural. That's, and you know how you can tell when something is flesh and it's not spirit? Because flesh has got its grubby fingers around it, controlling everything. We're going to start here. We're going to end here. We're going to do this then. We're going to do that. Oh, don't you believe it? Things being done decently in order? That's not what the Bible's talking about. That's talking about somebody with authority to do so, standing up here, overseeing the thing, making sure that what's being done isn't out of the book. It's not talking about pro programming such predictability into it that the Spirit of God is completely suffocated in our midst.
Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of what? Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't cause the law to cease to exist. You, you know, you know we, we get so defensive when, when, when the, the nominal world calls us legalists. From their perspective, I'm a legalist and proud of it. You know why? Because without the law, there is no sin. Paul said, if, ha- if, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't know I'd sin. So without the law, there's nobody lost. So they're all hypocrites that don't believe in legalism. Because they're out there raising money to save souls that they don't even believe are lost. Because they don't believe in the law. And those of you that want to be liberated from the rules. I want to find out how you're getting liberated from the word. You get liberated from the word. You know what that's called? Lost. But I just don't believe all this stuff is necessary. Really? Really? You know why when people compromise standards? It's not longer they compromise truth even though they, they, they promise themselves they'll never do it. Because how do, you, how do you say this isn't necessary and still say this is? Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Oh, come on, preacher. You don't believe a few inches of my hair is going to make that much difference. Oh, oh, so a few inches of your hair is no big deal. But letting my tongue make sounds that my brain can't even comprehend is essential? It is a short trip from a few inches of hair makes no difference. to this, All this tongue-talking mess makes no sense. How can that be important? It's a short trip. It's not a long trip. It's a short trip. People say, well, do you believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved? No, I do not. I believe you have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. There's no place in the book that says you have to speak in tongues to be saved. You have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. But the only way I can initially know I have the Holy Ghost is speaking tongues. Oh, then you believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved. No, you will never get me to say, I believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved. That's not scriptural. I believe you have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. But how do you know where the wind's blowing? Do I believe a woman cutting her hair or a guy letting his hair grow is going to send them to hell? No! I believe it's whatever's in their heart that makes them want to do it's going to send them to hell. That's just an outward sign of an inward problem. You're not going to get me to say somebody lopping off their hair or some guy growing his ass is going to send him to hell. But that rebellion in there, now that'll send you to hell. I got a relative that's become a Christian. (laughs) 
And he said, Pentecostals this and Pentecostals that. Finally, one day, I did everything but jerk him up by the tie. And I said, listen to me. You can talk about UPC all you want because he was raised in UPC even though he never became one of us. I said, you can, I, I did it verbally even though I didn't. I wanted to do it. You can, sit, you can blame all this stuff on what you were taught as a kid and that we're just following somebody else's stuff you want to. But I got mine out of the book. And if you got the guts to look at it, I'll show it to you. Because it's in there. Because I'm not following it. I'm not in the United Pentecostal Church because I believe anything you believe. I'm in the United Pentecostal Church because you just happen to be the closest to what God showed me for myself in the book. Period. And if yours is the opposite of that, I feel sorry for you. Because until this is yours, instead of what somebody's passed down to you, you're never going to give yourself for it, and you're not going to be willing to die for it if the day came. In fact, we prove we're not willing to die for it every day. Because you've got to believe this thing to be willing to be crucified for this every day. You got to believe it. Oh God, I got to hurry. Uh, what verse am I on here? Three, four. What's the next one? Three. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Let me tell you something. If you've left the, if you began the spirit, and you're now trying to lit, do this, live this life by the flesh, and you're not trusting the spirit of God every day. Let me tell you something, friend. The book right there says you're not going to succeed. And you may be a good hypocrite at hiding it from everybody, but the Word of God says you're failing. And you know how we know? You may have the outside all right, but your attitude, gossiping about people, talking about people, criticizing people, judging people. The Bible says don't judge another man's servant. When you criticize a preacher... You just cross the line. Well, I don't agree what he's doing. It's not your problem. You're not his master, nor his judge. He's got one of those that's one that, that satisfies both of those. All you've done is, re, is reveal your stinking spirit that you're walking in the flesh and you're claiming you're doing it better than him and you're a liar. I was trying to be nice. I'm sorry. Sorry. I guess I'm just not a nice person. I just can't do it. Stuff stirs me up, man, if you can't tell. I just, I just I hate that stuff. I hate, fall, I hate facade Christianity. I, I, that, this facade of Pentecostalism that we've held behind, hid behind, it's going to send us to hell. It's not acceptable to God. It's not okay with God. It might be okay with you, but it's not okay with God. There's no life in it. There's no reality in it. There's no fruitfulness in it. There's no profit to God in it. For what the law could not do in it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son to like a sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin to the flesh. For, here we got it again, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How is the righteousness of the law fulfilled in us? Not because we dot your eyes and cross your T's, but because we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
You're not righteous because you do right. You're righteous because you live in the Spirit. And because you walk in the Spirit. That's what makes you righteous. Because it's not your righteousness anyway. kingdom of God not, is not meat and drink. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy. If you ain't in the Holy Ghost, excuse the vernacular, if you ain't in the Holy Ghost, you ain't righteous. You don't have peace and you don't have joy. I've had the fortune or misfortune, whichever way you want to look at it, preach on every continent but Australia. And you know something? It's not just an American problem. It's the problem in the church of the living God today. There is so little joy in the people of God anywhere in our world today. There is so little joy because it's not our joy. It's the joy of the Lord. And I can only have the joy of the Lord if I'm living in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. has nothing to do with my circumstances. has nothing to do with my problem. has nothing to do with how big my church is, how big my income is. It has to do with whether or not I'm fellowshipping and have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't about us. It's about Him. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about the UPCI. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Verse 5, please. Verse 5, I got to go, got to go. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. Boy, we have so perverted the scripture. I, that, you know, and I'm not talking off the top of my head. I'm talking about stuff the way I've heard it preached all my life. It's a perversion. It's not truth. We equate carnality with living in sin. It is not anywhere close. Carnal is not referring to sinners. It's referring to Christians who are attempting to live for God through human strength and ability. It's not talking about doing sin. It's talking about trying to do the things of God through the power of the flesh. Oh, God. God. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, things of the spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded. To think in fleshly terms. To think about human ability. Human assets. To grade preachers on how good one is and another isn't. To grade churches and ministries based on outward results, what appears to be results. Let me tell you something. Until we're all willing to post rosters of our, our churches and state where they all came from. I 
I'm, I'm going to say this as strongly as I feel it, then it's stupid of us to look at somebody with a larger group and somebody with a smaller group and consider one more successful than the other. That's just foolishness. That's not carnality. That's just stupidity. For to be carnally... I'm sorry. God have mercy. You know what? You want to, you, I'm going to tell you a miracle. I'm the only guy that's been in every one of these conferences from the beginning. Now that's a miracle. This is, this is a very brave man. I can't imagine the stuff he puts up with people saying to him about what I've said. I'm off the subject. I don't have time to feel far, sorry for myself. For to be carnally minded is death. It's what? If you are operating in the flesh, you're dead. You're not alive. If you're trying to do right, if you're worshiping God, if you're singing, if you're praising, if you're preaching, but you're using your own strength and ability, you are dead. It's not an acceptable alternative. It's not when it's just not my personality. You're dead. But to be spiritually minded is what? You know what I feel? You know who the people are I feel the most sorry for in all of our movement? The foreign missionaries have to see what we're really like. They have to go from church to church to church and see what we're really like. And I hesitate to say this because I wouldn't want to hurt any of them. And, 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 but I, I got a couple of them I'm close enough friends with. They're not critical. They're just, they're sad. I say, Brother Wright, you just won't believe it. You just won't believe it. How bad it is. The most frightening thing in the world to me would be to go overseas and trust my income to people who operate in the flesh and not in the spirit. And no, I don't eat and I can't do my call unless they give. And the first little sign of trouble, they're going to stop giving because it's not convenient. Life. And peace. Next verse, please. Verse 8, please. Oh, I, oh I'm sorry. Was it 7? Yeah, 7. I'm sorry. Because the carnal mind, the one that's trying to do right through their effort. And let me tell you how you can know. If you feel pressure, you're in the flesh. That's the automatic sign you're trusting your ability. You can't show me anywhere in this book where it's the will of God for His people to have internal pressure. If it's God's will, He'll take care of it. If it's not God's will... If you're still trying to make it happen, you better change it. But we thrive on pressure and whatever. Let me tell you something. The devil wants the people of God under pressure because pressure produces, uh, pressure produces, what's, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
No. I, I've, I've preached this a hundred times probably, this part. I usually go backwards from weariness. Weariness is the adversary's antidote to revival. Be not weary in well-doing, for due season you shall reap if you faint not. Well, where does weariness come from? Pressure. Oh, no, from frustration. That's it. Weariness comes from living under frustration. And frustration comes under fr- un- uh, comes from living under pressure and handling it yourself because you've internalized it. Pressure produces frustration. Frustration produces weariness. Weariness stops God from being able to work. And it's all because... We've been raised in a climate that's trying to avoid the supernatural because we don't want to be out there. We want to be safe and we can't trust God's Spirit so we have to stay in control. We've got to keep our fingerprints on everything because if we don't keep a tight grip on everything, then it might get out of control. That word enmity? Look it up. It's the Greek word for hostility. The carnal mind is hostility toward God. It's not okay. It's just not an alternative way of doing things. You know, it's not preferable, but you can still go to heaven like that. You can trust your salvation to that lifestyle, but I'm not because I don't believe you're saved according to this. Here's why. Because the carnal mind is hostility against God. It's not subject. To the law of God. It's subject to tradition. It's subject to opinion. It's subject to peer pressure. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. And that's the Greek word dunamai, which is the verb for dunamis, power, or the ability to do supernaturally what you cannot do through the flesh. When your mind is in control instead of being submitted to God, you don't have the power to do what's pleasing to God. And God's not going to help you. Verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But, 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 brother, but, brother, right? We had a great service last night. Wasn't the choir good? Didn't we just really clap and praise the Lord? That's Old Testament stuff. That's not Pentecostalism. Dancing before the Lord and clapping your hands, raising your hands. That's not Pentecostalism. That's Jewish. You didn't have to have the Holy Ghost to do that. That's why the most specific instruction we have on it is in the book of Psalms. That's why most of our churches aren't Pentecostal. They're Jewish. Because we have a little bit of demonstration or whatever. We think that's all there is to this. No! If you're Pentecostal, apostolic, you live in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit. That's New Testament. Because you're filled with the Spirit and you're governed by the Spirit. That's New Testament. It's New Testament. Verse 9. 
But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit of, so be it the spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. In these last couple of minutes, I'm going to quit. First Corinthians chapter two, verse one. Oh, I love this chapter. I, I love all the Bible, but I love this chapter. Hallelujah. First Corinthians two, one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came with typed out notes and uh, at using the thesaurus and the dictionary and made sure it was really impressive for everybody to listen to. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. In fact, I did my best to forget everything but one thing. I didn't want to impress you with my knowledge of anything but one thing. All I wanted you to know from me, next verse please, all I wanted you to know from me is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I didn't want you to think I was smart about anything else but that. When I came into your presence, that's all I wanted you to know after listening to me was he knows Jesus and he's experienced the crucifixion of Jesus in his life and he believes I can have the same experience too. You don't have to listen to tapes and copy somebody else's message to do this. You don't have to do that to do this. But you do have to die out to your flesh. You do have to seek the face of God. You do have to seek the presence of God. You do have to spend some time in the spirit rather than everything in the flesh. Verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. My God, have mercy on us. What an indictment against present day Pentecost. The most powerful thing that happens most after most of our messages is that we'll have a few people give us compliments. My, that was really good tonight, preacher. Nothing ever happens. Nobody's ever changed. But it was really good tonight. I, you know, I never thought of that before. That Thank you for the thought. That's not the purpose of preaching. It's not to impress people with man's w- words and wisdom. But the preaching of the word is supposed to lead to a demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Why? Why is that the purpose? Verse 5. That your faith. That you wouldn't show up at a conference because so and so's preaching. Why I always get blessed when he's preaching. Would to God that everybody that claims to have a call to preach walked in the Spirit and we could really reach the place of believing that any man of God standing in a pulpit with a microphone in the will of God will have a word from God for us and we can receive what we need regardless of the face, regardless of the personality, regardless, regardless, regardless. That's God's goal. That's why Paul said, ye are dead and your lives are hidden with Christ and God. And you, you precious people come in here. 
and you feel like you're so incapable of competing, thank God. Maybe you'll find God's way and quit, quit trying to find out how you close, close you can come to somebody else's way. God's got a way. And let me tell you how you know God's way. It always brings Him glory and not man. When it's God's way, it brings God glory and not man. When a, when a guy's through preaching, if they talk more about the guy than, than the God that spoke, then it wasn't God. I don't care how good it was. I don't like leftovers and I don't really like much canned. Excuse me. Next verse. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the, wis- not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. Seven. Look, we're going to have to roll through this. Thank you very much. We, we, I, don't wait for me. Just keep doing it. But we speak the wisdom of, the, of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Under our what? How can it be our glory if it's not known? And how's it going to be known if I don't spend any time with God to know it? Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Period. But it's not period in the, in the Spirit. That continues in the Spirit. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. But God hadn't revealed them unto you unless you spend time in the Spirit. God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. That's why we're so shallow. That's why our worship is so shallow. That's why our preaching reaches for entertainment. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Brother Shatwell said yesterday, I didn't get this out of a book and off a tape. I appreciated him saying that. But isn't it sad he had to? Isn't it sad he felt the necessity to? Why would he have to identify that? The implication is, most of what comes across our pulpits don't come like that. Because people don't have the ability? No. They don't want to make the investment of dying out to themselves. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You precious home missionaries. I'm so glad you're here. And it's such a privilege to have the opportunity to minister to you. Because I'm one of you. Because once you ever build a church, it doesn't matter how long you stay there. You always see yourself as a home missionary. You never stop seeing yourself as a home missionary. That's how I feel. That's, that's how I, feel. I don't identify with the other people. I don't. I really don't. I, I, I'm thank, thankful to God for men who have taken a church and, and really, really brought that church where it needed to be and seen an increase. But I can't relate to that. Not when you got two people and you got no building and you don't know where to go. And you don't know where you're going to get a job to eat. And it's totally from scratch. And it's not move-ins. 
And the people that pray through have to be started with their ABCs because they don't know anything. And, and after you invest time in so many of them, they, they beat feet. I'm so glad you're here. Go, please go back 12. I'm very sorry. You were just doing what I asked you to do. If you would just spend time with God, not bemoaning your situation, not feeling sorry for yourself, but knowing how privileged you are and how much God has trusted you, that you're not doing what you're doing because you can't get a church someplace, but because you're honest enough and sincere enough to respond to a call of God to a place where somebody has never had the opportunity to hear the gospel before. There are so many things that God is willing to freely give you, but you can't receive it if you don't know what it is. You got to spend time with God to know the things that are freely given to us of God. Would you stand, please? I, 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 I am not going to apologize for what I've said today. I am going to say that I understand that in the heat of the moment, sometimes I say things stronger than I really intend to. Not understanding how sensitive some people are. Because most of you I don't know. I don't know your situation. I'm not picking on you. I'm not using head knowledge. I'm just trying to hear and repeat, hear and repeat, hear and repeat, hear and repeat. To me, that's the essence of ministry when you're, when you're, when you're walking in the Spirit. It's just, it's not what you think or what you're, what you believe. It's hearing and repeating, hearing and repeating. So if I've said something today that has offended you, it was not on purpose. But if you'll receive it from God and get past the personality, you can be benefited by it. I don't apologize for the passion. I don't apologize for the intense desire to see you have what's your rightful place as a Holy Ghost-filled child of God. I don't apologize for that. Would you just raise your hands?